0: On this episode of EdScoop's Cutting Edge Podcast from Scoop News Group, why CIOs need to understand what teachers and learners want. This is EdScoop's Cutting Edge Podcast. Every other Tuesday, we dive deep with decision makers on what's next in higher education IT and online learning. I'm your host, Jake Williams. EDUCAUSE is out with its 2023 Horizon Report. This year's edition of the annual report highlights students' desire for multimodal and flexible course delivery, while also calling on colleges to make more sustainable technology choices. Kathy Pelletier is the Director of Teaching and Learning at EDUCAUSE. She gives EdScoop's Lindsay McKenzie an inside look at what goes into making the report a reality.
1: My favorite part of the job is really interacting with our members, and that can be either working with somebody to draft an
0: EduCause review
1: article about what they're doing on their campus or planning a quick talk to engage the community around a kind of up and coming emerging topic that's that's really critical for to get a group together to kind of collectively problem solve. But I also partner with our internal staff on research projects and serve as a subject matter expert in the teaching and learning area as a, um, as an example. And we have you know, educause is kind of for the members by the members. And so a lot of my what my work is convening various expert panels or advisory committees to really have our members tell us about not only what's important to them on their campuses and what are the um the opportunities they're seeing or, or problems they're solving that they're problems that they need to solve, or um, really pulling them in for their expertise on a particular topic. So for example, uh, we're kicking off an expert panel today actually on generative AI with about 10 of our members to help us produce and prioritize the, the next set of programming for Educause around generative AI.
2: I know that you also work on Horizon Reports, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what those are.
1: Yeah, the Horizon Report is actually one of my favorite projects to work on in my my favorite reports. We use a panel, again, we use a panel of experts, just like many of our other projects, but this panel is uh has Historically and continues to be very intentionally global. And we work with about 60 individuals who have expertise in the topic of the Horizon Report to help us identify the trends and the key technologies and practices, in this case, related to teaching and learning within the next 10 years. And the report is intended to be used by leaders and educational technology professionals on campus to really understand what are some potential futures. Uh, that might come to pass as it relates to teaching and learning so that they can be prepared to be nimble and respond to any one of those potential futures, but also really thinking about how they can prepare for their preferred future and maybe uh, increasingly encourage that particular future to be more likely to to be the the future that happens so we have some scenarios and um and and that really are, are the um, the scenarios section is really where we describe those multiple possible futures that um that our readers can then kind of evaluate how they where they want to invest and how they want to put their time and energy
2: how has Educause's approach to those? Horizon reports changed over time.
1: Educause started. We kind of adopted the Horizon report in 2019 uh, from the New Media Consortium and the NMC. And Educause had partnered on Horizon reports for many, many years prior prior to 2019. And actually, in those days, there were more than one, uh, more than a couple, more than a handful of, of flavors of Horizon reports. Some not even in higher education. There were there were some that were K12. There was there was one I think focused on library, which obviously is is more higher. Education education specific. And when EDUCAUSE took on the Horizon Report in 2019, we did decide to just kind of take a step back and make sure that we were shoring up the process and the methodology of the report so that we were really focusing on the things that most mattered to our community, but also doing it in such a way that was really aligned with foresight practices. And so we invested in some training for our our Horizon Report staff in in foresight methodologies through the Institute for the Future. And that first uh, Educause adopted report was a teaching learning report. And then as we've refined our process over the last several years, we've added, we keep the teaching and learning report as our, our kind of primary report that we do publish every single year. And then we have time to do a second report every year. So one of the reports that we added is one related to cybersecurity. Last year, we published one on data and analytics. And then this year, we're actually engaged with a panel for a report that will come out later this fall on uh, how we're supporting the holistic student experience. So it's likely in the near future that we'll have the teaching and learning report as the anchor and then have a second report that, that maybe rotates. And we haven't decided yet if we'll have a fourth flavor of report that we'll add after the holistic student experience, or if we'll kind of cycle back to the cybersecurity and then data and analytics and holistic student experience, because those those three topic areas are really important to EDUCAUSE. So we don't want to water down, you know, and and kind of uh, leave too much time before we would repeat a report in those areas.
2: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was wondering... The latest report focuses on teaching and learning. And I was wondering how you put together the panels that you Mm -hmm. gather and and what that process looks like. How do you pick the experts that you want to hear from?
1: That's such a challenging process because there are so many people with such incredible credentials and experiences and perspectives that are interested in serving on this panel. We've landed on the number of about 60 as the number of panelists that we decide to include. And that number has, we've kind of gone bigger and we've gone smaller. And we found that that number is really the the sweet spot of having a diversity of perspectives uh, as well as not being so big that it's just, you know, as a panelist, really scary to jump in and, and add your uh enter comments and your perspectives. So we pick 60 people. We do a call for volunteers uh, before the, the panel convenes, and we ask people to tell us about their expertise in that in that particular topic area of the, the horizon report. But we also uh, ask people to talk about how they um, really live the value of diversity, equity, and inclusion that Educause uh, is is really committed to. So we want to make sure that um, individuals either have bring in expertise uh, from their own lived experience related to DEI, or or bring uh, you know academic and training and um, self informed background in, in DEI. We don't require foresight. Experience on the panel, but if if individuals have had experience um, doing foresight activities, that that's always a bonus because th- there is a skill involved. But we do train our panelists once they are selected. We have an orientation that introduces them to the the types of foresight activities that we ask them to do, and then you know we we cut our our when we have a, a list of prospective panel members, we slice and dice by institution size and type and the location geographically. We tried to get a broad representation geographically and, you know, kind of some of those demographic factors, we try to make sure we have balance um, and then we make the selection.
2: Is it then a series of meetings and do you give the participants prompts or is it more of an open discussion?
1: We're really actively engaged in kind of refining and optimizing that approach. So, because our our panel is so large and because so many geographical areas are represented, it's hard to get people together in the same place at the same time, even for a virtual session. Um, However, we have found that adding a virtual session, an extended orientation at the very beginning, and this year we're actually, it'll be the first time we have an extended um, session for scenario development at the very end, um, that that really is a great way to make make use of people's time in a short space to get a lot of uh, impactful input from the panel. So we're kind of testing what that looks like in, in terms of bringing more synchronous activities We do have a series of asynchronous prompts that we ask the panel to um, engage with. And we use um, Canvas as a discussion board space. And we have the panel. One of the activities that they do is to identify signals of change, which are individual data points of, you know, a story that you hear or a news article or a report that you read that kind of makes you it's like one specific thing that's happening. And it just makes you be like, oh, that wow, that's interesting and, and kind of makes you pause and maybe you want to tell somebody else about it. That might be the thing that you post on social media or you share with your friends or you tweet about it. Um, and so we we asked our panelists to collect all of these signals of change, which are kind of the the nascent, early trends before they they might become trends because they're just an individual kind of specific instance of of something that's happening. We also asked them to identify trends that are not just higher education related, but trends in a variety of larger categories. And so we we say the steep trends. So it's social, economic, environmental technological, oh, I forgot technology for the T and then P. And um, so we really want to look at these large scale global, you know, kind of drivers of, of change that are happening, which is really kind of the the soup that those signals are are sitting in that that are going to potentially influence the future. Then we ask them to think about those trends that they've identified and and assuming that the trajectory of those trends is going to continue, we ask them to to identify key technologies and practices that either might accelerate those trends or might mitigate the trends if they they might be dangerous and and potentially negative trends. And so the, the panel will identify those. And for each of the trends and the technologies of practices, we don't just ask them to identify just tell us what the trends are or the technologies and practices, but we we also ask them to tell us, so what? So why is this trend important? What are the potential implications of this trend or why is this key technology and practice important? And what what are what are some potential impacts or implications of using this technology or practice? Um, and then finally we ask for evidence. Um, and that again might be a news story. It might be a a report, it might be research, but we try to keep things current, as current as possible. And then within that process, we we also add a modified Delphi methodology to the panel. And what that does is it takes all of the input from every individual panelists who are, you know, sharing trends, commenting on other people's trends, sharing potential impacts, evidence, et cetera. But the Delphi method is a a method of consensus building in in large groups. So we take that long list of trends that everyone has submitted, and we ask our panelists to vote on those trends. And so from that, that's how we get our top trends. And we do the same for the technologies and practices. The the panel, it's really interesting to hear them, to virtually hear them through the discussion board, um, really get excited about kind of the me too. And I think that's going to be really important as they're, they're sharing their, um, their narrative discussion, but there's also examples where panelists might say, I disagree. I actually have a counter example of that trend or something that might show that it's slowing down or, um, are really kind of providing an, an, a different perspective. So it, it, While we do want to come to consensus to get to the top trends, to see that um, the discussion play out both in the agreement, but also the disagreement is is really an amazing thing to observe.
2: That is really interesting. I've always wondered how you picked... topic that everyone agreed on because mm-hmm. everyone is coming from very different areas, very different institutions, and I guess they might see different things. So. For sure.
1: We're, we're actually um, considering ways that we can surface the trends or technologies of practices that went to the cutting room floor that didn't make it to the top because... Our hypothesis is that those might actually be really more emerging that we need to pay attention to. Maybe they're not right out in front of our faces right now, but things that might have a longer time horizon to come to maturity that we we might want to have an eye on. So we don't have a product yet or a report figured out about how to how to present those to our community. But it's definitely something that, like you say, there's so many different perspectives that I think it'd be really great to be able to at least shine a light on some of those things, even if we don't, you know, write up a fancy horizon report on it. I think it could be really beneficial for the community to see some of those things.
2: An emerging, emerging tech report. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) The latest report, I'd love to dig into a little bit. Mm -hmm. What were some of the trends identified in the latest teaching and learning report? And what did you think was interesting about this edition. Mm -hmm.
1: One of the things that I find interesting is both when just holistically looking at those trends of watching trends that have appeared in previous reports. So again, these are long-term trends. So seeing the same trend happen twice twice in a row or three or four times in a row is not A signal that something's wrong with the process or that we're not being original off. It just means that that trend has a longer tail. So one of those trends um, that uh, kind of combinations of trends, we had one uh, called out related to micro-credentials and another called out related to uh, lifelong learning. That seems to be something that has increased in momentum. Micro-credentials have appeared in, in Horizon Reports I think the last four or five years in a row. The desire of students that they're kind of raising their hands and saying, we want flexible opportunities, we want lifelong learning. I see that maybe as kind of ratcheting up the momentum of of micro credentials as well. Um, Another set of trends that I think is interesting is actually in the environmental and the political categories. You know, we at EDUCAUSE have talked for a while about how the, the mainstreaming of hybrid and digital learning. And it's almost like environmental issues are becoming mainstreamed into the conversation on higher education campuses in a way that I think is different from years past, where you know there's awareness of of um, of climate change, there's awareness of the need to uh, maybe reduce digital footprint, but the fact that one of the trends is actually incorporating uh, environmental and climate programming into academic programs means that we're also teaching the next generation of our students that we need to pay attention to climate issues and environmental issues. So that that's kind of an interesting twist on that one. Um, And then I think, you know, even similarly politically, that political issues out there in the world. I think higher education has been a little protected from these political issues, but increasingly we we can't escape either. And so some of the increase in nationalism and some increase in um, disinformation that's actually coming from governments is, is coming onto college campuses. And, and we really need to think about, you know, whether it's how do we increase our programming on information literacy so students can uh, critically look at news sources and uh, and or information coming from uh, various sources and make a determination of how much they should uh, attend to or you know give give stock in that information. And the other thing I think you know that when you think about the Horizon Report is you know it's not a crystal ball. None of the predictions they're not predictions that are in the Horizon Report. None of the things that we say in the Horizon Report are necessarily going to come to pass. And so when we as individuals or as higher education campuses kind of insert ourselves in the trajectory of these trends. I think we have the opportunity either to cut off devastating consequences at the past or or really accelerate some of the trends. So one of the things that I think another way to look at the trends, for example, I'll go back to the technological advances and, you know, the proliferation of hybrid and digital learning, for example, even the flexibility conversation. We see those as good. And right, because we're helping students learn in new ways and we're using technology to extend teaching and learning um, in different ways than we have before. But if we don't think about some of the accessibility issues that are still a a, a problem for for many communities in terms of access to high quality broadband or access to devices that can handle digital learning uh, and all of the the power and the types of processing needed for some of the digital learning opportunities that we might actually exacerbate inequities when we're thinking we're actually adding more flexible options for students. So, So really kind of interpreting some of those trends in relation to possible structural barriers that that we might need to inject ourselves into or try to influence so that we're not uh, hurting students that we actually want to to support and serve.
2: Do you feel like the reports help to move the needle or is it just about like starting a discussion?
1: You know, so one thing I'm really excited about that Educause has added to our Horizon Report family are the Horizon Action Plan. So that's a separate publication. And those are, uh, we just have two so far, and we're working on a third. Our first one was related to privacy, and that was a spinoff on the cybersecurity report. The next one was um, related to hybrid learning, and that was a spinoff of the last year's teaching and learning work. Re- um, oh, no, we have three. The, the third one was data governance. That was a spinoff of the data and analytics report. And then we're working on a generative AI action plan that will be a spinoff of this year's teaching and learning horizon report. And what those are is taking, so if you... Think Think about the the cycle of uh, a foresight that starts with preparation, then you get some forecast and then you have some insight, but then there's action and the horizon report doesn't get you all the way to action. It really is a discussion starter, like you were mentioning, but the action plans, one of the reasons I'm excited about those is that they really both engage a panel of experts to pick a preferred future in that topic. So our digital and hybrid learning action plan last year, um, we had the panelists describe what that preferred future might look like. And then the panel also describes the, the actions that are needed at the individual campus and collective level to move us closer to that preferred future. We also provide in our action plan kind of a template for institutions to run a a similar activity to what we did with the panelists so that at their campus level, they can choose a preferred future. They can decide on which actions they want to prioritize and invest in so well, that action step is really important otherwise you know it's just navel gazing like oh man it really stinks that climate change is still still upon us oh you know oh well but really thinking about well how is climate change the a trend that you really want to make sure that we're mitigating or that we're we're trying to to shift direction for. Um, and so what actions do we need to take to make that happen? I, I would say um, also just to add a little bit of nuance that when we think about the trends and the key technologies and practices that we don't necessarily think of them in isolation, that it really is the combination of these things that is likely to yield a specific future. And so moving the needle on one trend or impacting investing in a particular technology, that alone is not necessarily going to maybe make the shifts that that we might be hoping for or continue the momentum. And so that kind of integrative view of, of all of these things that like kind of squint your eyes and look a little blurry <laughs> and then imagine the the different combination effects. That really, I think, is where it becomes really interesting and, and primes us for action.
2: I thought it was really timely, the discussion of AI and mm-hmm. the latest report. Could you say more about what that might cover?
1: It was actually interesting that AI appeared in this year's Horizon Report in part because the panel concluded their activities before GPT-3 came out. And so we were already you know, sniffing out the opportunity for generative AI. And then we actually had a second AI category related to predictive AI, which is more kind of big data analytics um, that can be used to get in front of of challenges students might have and really help the institution intervene appropriately and proactively for students. So, the action plan is... So, I, I would encourage listeners to take a look at at our previous action plans to get a sense of what the AI action plan will look like. But in general, it's structured to the panel will talk about collectively when we think about generative AI. What is the best case scenario of what the next ten years is going to look like with regard to? Generative AI. So, what is that preferred future that we really hope happens? And let's describe it in detail. And you know, what does it smell like? What does it look like? What is like? What's your job going to be like? What are students going to be doing? Um, so, we really kind of try to embody that preferred future that we hope happens related to generative AI. Then we take the panelists through an activity, and this will be another section of the report of thinking about that preferred future that we've just described together what are the things that we need to do right now to make that happen? So is it develop policies related to ethical use of AI or is it let students use it as much as possible because they're already using it anyway and we want them to kind of be the bellwether of of what's possible with using these tools? Is it prohibiting the use of AI in certain situations? Is, Is it creating classes and programming? So pulling those out of a hat. So those might not be the actions that the panel decides, but we we collect this long list of actions that, again, individually you might do as a person, you might do on your campus, or, or we collectively in higher education need to rally around and, and collectively do. And then we try to prioritize those based on what are some baby steps that you can take and do without much investment of time and resources, or what are the things that take a long time, but might be really impactful or take a lot of resources that we you know, you really need to intentionally invest in. So we, we try to kind of map all of that out. Um, and so, so that's really the content of, of what an action plan looks like.
2: Going back to the bigger uh, horizon reports, I'm curious if there's ever been an instance of completely missing something. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I mean again, the horizon report is not intended to be a prediction. So, we're not measuring ourselves on how well did we do or how did how well did we see the future? We're really scanning the environment for what are the things happening right now that are likely going to be impacting the future that that we have agency now to to pay attention to and take action on. I do think that one thing that is interesting when you look across past horizon reports, less so to kind of give yourself a grade on on how well did the panel know what was coming, but it really is to look at things that appear every once in a while in the report, but skip years. So AI actually has been one of those things that it has appeared, AI has appeared in horizon reports for a number of years in the past, but it's, you know, some some years it's like, oh my gosh, there's a lot going on and that we need to there, there are trends that have increased in velocity or or there are new technologies that are coming out that um that people have access to that can can use or are making leaps in these technologies. You know, so so kind of watching things go go up and down. XR is another one that has appeared and then faded away, appeared and faded away. Another one that's interesting, I keep coming back to micro credentials. That's one of my favorite ones to talk about is that It's like, that's like the tortoise and the tortoise and the hare. We have seen micro credentials appear for so many years. And even before that, digital badging and other aspects of maybe capabilities or various flavors of digital and micro-credentials. But that micro-credentials initiatives on campuses are actually maturing really slowly and um, are not not spreading like wildfire. And in fact, we just published a quick poll. uh, It will be going out this week uh, related to micro-credentials. And our members are telling us that we're interested, but we we just haven't scaled them yet, and in part because of the complexity, because you need so many stakeholder groups to come together to number one agree on what you're doing, and then then work in unison to build this system of of support for students. So. So I think, again, it's it's not so much to look back and see what did we miss or what didn't we predict because we're not in the prediction business. But it is interesting to see how trends end up over time, either gaining velocity or kind of petering out over time.
2: For anyone listening who's interested in taking part in one of these reports, could you talk about that process? How do you volunteer or what credentials do you need to get picked as someone who might be on a panel?
1: Yeah, great question. We do see a lot of interest from our community in serving on the panel, and we do send out a call for volunteers right before the panel convenes. And depending on the report that you'd be interested in serving on, that timing depends. You know, I can't give you a specific time to watch for that. But if you are on our Educause mailing list, uh, which means you have a profile and you are enabling communications from Educause, you will receive that invitation. and. I'd say, number one, watch your email for communications from EDUCAUSE. It will likely come from program lead like myself or my counterparts in our senior technology leader and CIO program or our cybersecurity and privacy program. Secondly... We there aren't necessarily specific credentials we look for, but we do try to build a very diverse panel in terms of roles and expertise and experience. And so there are people on our panel who are individual contributors like I have selected instructional designers who have no management experience. uh, because they are close to the action of of actually doing the instructional design and working together with faculty to create courses and assessments, et cetera. Um, there are CIOs on the panel that of the teaching and learning panel, for example, even though they might not be specifically focused on teaching and learning. Um, we, I really want the CIO voice to be included as we're thinking about teaching and learning, because obviously they, they are a key stakeholder in that. Um, Uh, There are people who are have been in higher education for decades that um, make a really great case about why their depth of experience is a good fit. And there are people who have been in higher ed for decades who don't make a great case for how their experience fits on the panel. So I think if you are a listener who is interested in serving on the panel, I think the best advice I could give you is to be really thorough and and intentional and thoughtful about how you respond to the prompts in our, in the form that we ask you to fill out. And and that means telling us about who you are and what you're, what you're doing on your campus, what your expertise is, but also why you think you're a good fit and, and, um, and how you would uh, bring to life the DEI values that Educause uh, holds dear. Um, So just being, not taking for granted that your title alone will uh, will get you a spot, but really making the cakes for yourself.
2: So we've talked about trends in the Horizon Reports, and I was wondering if you could maybe touch on the other aspects of the report, particularly the scenarios. What are those and how do you define those?
1: Yeah, I love the scenarios, and I feel like um, they're kind of towards the end of the report, and I don't know if people lose steam when they're reading, but, um, but I feel like they're an underappreciated part of the Horizon Report. So I've, I've been talking about how the horizon report and foresight practice is not making predictions. We don't have a silver or a crystal ball or a silver bullet for that matter. And, um, and the scenarios are really where all of the work of the panel comes together and turns into this mashup of possibility. And we provide four scenarios every year. And the purpose of, of these different scenarios is really to illustrate very different and almost extreme uh, possibilities for what the future might look like. So one of our scenarios, and they they all have kind of rules to, to what how you think about framing of a combination of the data that the panelists are sharing as they're having their discussions related to the trends and the technologies and practices so uh one of our our scenarios is the growth scenario and in the growth scenario the current trajectories of um, of today are continuing both good and bad um, and we're kind of continuing on the same path toward the future and so in this particular scenario this year um, we uh, we picked the uh, the focus on flexibility as the thing that would continue unconstrained so higher education has, Embraced uh, flexible learning opportunities, um, whether whether it's based on hybrid learning or micro credentials, and this is leading to increased revenue for institutions. Um, students and employers are happy with um, this flexibility, but and here's where um, where it not not everything is golden or not everything is terrible in, in in each of the scenarios. But we haven't improved made improvements to the systemic barriers such as infrastructure or other um, inequalities and the digital divide has grown larger. so so that's the growth scenario where flexibility has grown unabated. The second scenario is about constraint and in this higher ed we have kind of a constraining function. so in this higher ed has it like organized itself around a core guiding value or principle and and that's that's really drives decision making or or kind of sh- what shapes this future. So in this, the impact of global climate change have really forced higher education to um, expand flexible degree pathways. So here again, we hear about flexibility, but it's a little bit of a different flavor than in the gross scenario. Higher ed is also assuming responsibility for educating students around environmental issues and also achieving carbon neutrality on on campuses and through daily operations. However, through the disinformation campaigns that we're seeing on the political level, it's actually making it really hard to educate the public about climate issues. So we have this tension between educating our students, but then there's still disinformation about the climate out there. The third scenario usually is the darkest. Then there's usually not a a silver lining. Um, Sometimes there is. But um, in the collapse scenario, higher education is just breaking down. Stuff is not working. (laughs) Um, and, and often leaving many institutions just decimated, having to close or, um, or combine, et cetera. And in part institutions are closing because we're societally moving into the AI powered metaverse and, um, which is really eliminating the need for formal higher education. And while, These new educational environments are highly tailored and personalized to individual learners. The human connection is non-existent um, and the improperly trained algorithms are exacerbating society's inequities. So the collapse scenario is one that you know, you really want to try to avoid. <laughs> um, and then finally, we have a transformation scenario, which is a new paradigm. Um, and that the, that new paradigm is driving how higher education operates and really changes, leads to a fundamental shift in how we think about um, and carry out education. So in this year's transformation scenario, higher ed has streamlined daily operations with AI. So that's a positive application of AI. Um, and then which leaves stakeholders free to be creative and curious and, and really connect with each other as humans, um, possibly working on united, uniting a divided world. Also, we're seeing that the ed tech boom of the 2020s has stalled. And so end users actually have the time to learn how to use these new tools without being inundated with with new ones coming over and over. And um, people are finding the time and space to connect from a place of empathy and collaborate on the world's biggest problems. So so those are the four scenarios that we have. And you can see the different flavors that each one brings. And the point of those scenarios really is to help people imagine possible futures and then take action in order to reach a future that's probably going to be a combination of these things, but really take action to achieve a more desirable future.
0: Kathy Pelletier, Director of Teaching and Learning for EDUCAUSE. You can read more about her and about this year's Horizon Report at EdScoop.com and in links in today's show notes. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at CuttingEdgePodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a Scoop News Group production. Carlin Fisher helps make it happen and the entire team contributes. Until next time, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.